turn in the Bible to 1 Thessalonians. Is that loud? Super loud to me too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is where we will be this morning. A couple weeks ago, we started a new series through the letter that is written to the church in Thessalonica. We call that 1 Thessalonians. It's what it's known in the Bible. I do want to let you all know that we're going to do this series a little bit differently. Our Sunday evening services are going to continue straight through the series along with the morning service. So tonight's service will be the very next passage here. So today we will cover this morning the first 12 verses. We're doing 2, 1 through 12. And tonight we will pick up at 2.13 and keep going. And that's the way we're going to do that until we are finished with First and Second Thessalonians. We have not done it that way before, but we think that will be a good way for us to engage First and Second Thessalonians. Today we're going to look at chapter 2, the first 12 verses. The message that we have in the bulletin or the title is Sharing the Message and Our Lives. Our lives and the message. What a thought. We read just a little bit ago the parable of the Good Samaritan. If there are any passages in the Bible that are well known to people that do not read the Bible, that is one of them. You've heard of the Good Samaritan before. It's an amazing, amazing illustration, example that Jesus gives. Since it's a parable, it's not most likely something that actually happened, but rather a story Jesus tells to teach us, and it certainly does. The parable of the Good Samaritan. A man left beaten and robbed and broken and beaten down on the side of the road, needy, needing help, needing somebody to care. And the religious leader, the priest, if you will, sees him, goes to the other side of the road and avoids him altogether and keeps going. Another religious person, a Levite, similar thing, comes, sees him, avoids him, and keeps going. And then one who we are to think was not necessarily religious, was not in leadership, a Samaritan, sees the guy, cares, feels, and acts, goes and helps him. And Jesus points out that Samaritan is a neighbor. He showed mercy. It's an incredible story that Jesus teaches, one that once you have heard, you have not forgotten, one that is a challenge to us regularly and continually. And while it is not the main point of that parable, the Good Samaritan parable, I do want to use it to help us understand what we're going to see today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, a message on sharing our lives with sharing the message, which is clearly what Paul is doing with his life, with his ministry, and with his letter now in chapter 2. Imagine the Good Samaritan taking this man to a hospital or to a room where he could be cared for and he could be uh, bandaged up and cleaned up, right? Surely this man left to die asked the Samaritan, who are you and why are you helping me? Why do you care? What interests do you have? Now, this isn't the point of the parable and we don't hear that question and we certainly don't hear the question or the answer to that question. But it's not unrealistic to consider it. 
On the flip side of that, the priest and the Levite, who we know ought to have a message and who ought to be desiring to share their message with people, with the world, with the broken and needy, with everybody, the priest and the Levite. Can you imagine if that one left that they had avoided, that they did not encounter and interact with, ask them, why didn't you? Why didn't you help me? Aren't you a priest in the name of God who loves the world? Aren't you trying with your whole position in life and career to be a difference maker, to turn people on toward God, to draw attention to him? Why didn't you help me? And if those conversations happened, and we don't know that they did, again, it's a parable, but if those conversations happened, don't we naturally think that the man being helped is most likely to listen and even believe the one who helped him? Is that far-fetched? Is that not realistic? And isn't it normal to think that if they avoided him and did not feel for him and to use Jesus' word, did not show mercy to him, that that one would be thinking, why would I listen to you? I'm not saying there's any animosity, but wouldn't it be normal to think, why would I listen to you? You didn't help me in your religion. You didn't help me. You didn't care for me. You didn't try to help me when I needed help. And so in that parable, we can even think about how important the actions speak with the words that we speak, how the lives that we live go along with the message that we proclaim. And it is on this frame of thought that the Apostle Paul speaks of sharing a message as well as sharing their lives. Read with me in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians And we will read the first 12 verses. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. 
You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The Bible teaches a lot that we ought to walk the walk if we talk the talk. You've heard that. The Bible does teach that. Faith without works is dead. A tree is known by its fruit, right? We know those things. But we don't get many passages as sweet as this one where the one bringing the message now speaks about how he brought his life. This is a lesson for me and you, and this is a lesson for church in our day. I have two points for us this morning, and each point has two other points. Number one, trustworthy lives to observe, and number two, a trustworthy message to believe. Trustworthy is a good word. It has in it worth, it has in it trust, trustworthy, able to be trusted, dependable, reliable, somebody that we can and should trust. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, if the one beaten down was looking for a message that would help him look up and have hope, who might he listen to? The priest? I don't think so. The Levite? I don't think so. The Samaritan that helped and sacrificed? Certainly trustworthy lives to observe. The apostle Paul here is telling the church in Thessalonica that they can look at his life, how he lived, and how he ministered toward them as a strength and emphasis on that they can trust him. They can trust him, they can trust his life, they can trust his efforts, they can trust the way He reached them and served them. The first idea here is that their ministry was sacrificial. This is what we know about their efforts in Macedonia and in Thessalonica. A couple weeks ago, I showed you that in Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17, where we read about these mission trips that the Apostle Paul is on, how it was not easy. They were facing adversity and difficulty. I want to read to you just a little bit to help you recall this. You don't have to turn there. This is Acts chapter 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. The reason why they were there is because God had sent them there. We have earlier in Acts chapter 16, a Macedonian call from God sending Paul to go to Macedonia. That's why they're there. That that I just read is in Philippi and they would leave Philippi and head right down the road to Thessalonica. That's where they would meet these very people. It's a part of the missions that they were doing. It's a part of the effort and the work and the ministry. 
And yet in their going, because God called them to, they faced difficulty. They were beaten up. They were left for dead. And they were put in prison. It was not easy. It was not good. It was not pretty. And yet it was of God. There was sacrifice there. When Paul tells them that they have trustworthy lives to observe, they are to recognize the sacrifice going on. This is what he mentions in verse 2. Look at verse 2. I'm at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2. He says, though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. When they made it to Thessalonica to preach Jesus Christ, the love of God come to us to forgive us of our sins and give us hope and save us. When they came to that town to preach the message of God, it was not easy. It took much sacrifice. They literally limped in. They had been beaten and placed in jail, and they still kept going. One would thought it would have been time to turn back. It's just too hard. It's not going well. It's not easy. Let's head back home. But they didn't do that. They sacrificed. And part of the reason why the Thessalonians are to believe the trustworthy message, which will be my second point, is because of the trustworthy lives they observe in Paul and his team. Isn't this the wonderful message that we get from our moms? Isn't the life of the mom, which I've often said is the hardest job on the planet. There are lots of hard jobs. Dad's a hard job. But perhaps the hardest job, in my opinion, on the planet is being a mom. And how much sacrifice moms do. How much they go and give and lay down and sacrifice themselves. So that when mom tells her kids something, they listen. Now, it should be this way across the board, but we see it best in a mom. Her sacrifice is what creates the relationship for the kids to listen to mom. It's the idea that the Apostle Paul is mentioning here on their trustworthy lives to observe. I want you to turn over in chapter 2 to verse 9, where he reminds them here you remember, brothers and sisters, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we would not be a burden to any of you. They were not wanting at all to take it easy, have it easy. They weren't wanting themselves to benefit from this. They were wanting the people of Thessalonica to benefit from their ministry and to the extent, to the degree, to make that believable was their sacrifice. The Thessalonians believed the gospel. They had become believers in Christ, partly due to the sacrifice that they see in the trustworthy lives of Paul and his team. So their ministry was sacrificial, but secondly, under the trustworthy lives to observe, their ministry was sincere. Their ministry was Sincere. Let me show you how he says it. Verse three, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. We don't want you to believe just because we say we do. We don't want you to believe something that's not true. We don't want you to believe something that's not good for you. We want you to believe 
God. Verse five, we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. And then in verse seven, he says this, we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but listen to this, also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Is that ministry or is that ministry? Life on life, sacrificial and sincere. They are to believe Paul because he was giving everything he had to them and for them. He even goes to the extent to say, we were so gentle among you. What a word. This Paul has been through everything. He has been beaten. He's been hungry. He has been uh, in jail. He's been shipwrecked at sea. He has been stoned. He has been in so many bad spots. One would not think that gentle and tender is a characteristic of this rugged frontier missionary. And yet, in his ministry, in his work with those people, he was gentle like a nursing mother. Not just a mom, not an old mom to season and has got a broom in her hand and ready to hit you with it if you don't listen. A nursing mom with a baby in her arms. Tender and gentle was the ministry. How sincere they were. How affectionate they were. Desirous of them, he says. And yet, as if that's not strong enough, and I found this absolutely fantastic in Verse 7, he says, like a nursing mother, but in verse 11, he says, like a father. If this isn't a word for pastors and a word for parents and a word for men these days, his ministry is so sincere, that's my word here, sincere, authentic, genuine, from the right motive, from the heart, with love, with kindness. It is so sincere that it's like a mom nursing her baby gentle, and it's like a dad teaching his kids, encouraging them. He says that same thing, or he says both of those things about his same ministry. Man, I'm like a good mom in how I'm serving you. I'm like a good dad in how I'm teaching you. The sincerity that we see from Paul is incredible. The sacrifice of their ministry and the sincerity of their ministry created in the Thessalonians lives that they were to trust and to believe. They had observed this about them and there is power in that. You are to know that there is power in people that are trustworthy. You know this. You've had people do work for you before and they didn't do good work and they didn't do what they said and they did not keep their word. And so you said, Oh, I'll never ask them for help again. I'll never go back to there because they weren't trustworthy. And on the other hand, you have had people do work for you before that were so faithful and so consistent and so thorough and did more than even what they promised that you will trust them now with your life. Being trustworthy goes a long way. Being trustworthy is powerful. I get to be around ball fields a lot these days, whether it's basketball fields or basketball courts or, or soccer fields, I get to be around it. 
We talk to parents all the time about how's it going, how's experience, how's the season, how's your kid liking it, all of that. And I've got one observation among many. Coaches make all the difference. And if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. A good coach makes all the difference. A bad coach will make you hate your sport, make you want to quit. You don't want to come back. You're thinking about retiring at the age of eight, all because of a coach. You get home and there's no coach. You'll play outside in the backyard all day long. You love it. You love ball and you just can't get enough of it. And yet that bad coach will make you not like it. But on the other end of that, a coach that builds you up, makes you better, loves you, invests in you, makes the sport fun, makes you love the game, will make you think, I'll do anything for that coach. I thank God for that coach. It's the idea of being trustworthy, and it makes all the difference. Paul is teaching the Thessalonians that the most important message in the world, which again is the second point coming up, the message of your God, the one who made you loving you, and sending his son Jesus to die for your sins, to be the answer to your life, to be the satisfaction in this world and be the peace that your heart longs for. That message is to be believed and embraced. And he is saying that one of the reasons they need to believe that is because they can believe him. What a thought. And they recognize that because of the sincerity and the sacrifice, trustworthy lives to observe. But secondly, there is a trustworthy message to believe. And at the end of the day, this is what we know. This is what is true about ministry. We are speaking a message that is from God, and we are hoping and praying that you would believe it. That's ultimately what ministry is. We take this book. It's not a message from me. I'm not hoping that you think I'm smart or that I'm right. I'm trying to tell you this in hopes that you would believe God. God is true. God loves us. God is a saving God, and that is the answer to life. Trustworthy lives to observe so that there is a trustworthy message to believe so that people would believe it. My two points under this are, number one, the message is from God. We must understand that. This is why we're not looking at people who are good at what they do or looking at people who just have good impacts with their lives, but we're looking at people who are faithful to what God has said. We're looking for faithful ministers, if you will, and notice that Paul is not just saying, listen to us because we're the best thing going. He's saying, listen to us because this message is from God. God sent us here. God sent us to you all. God told us what to say to you all. The same thing that he did in us, we're wanting him to do in you. The message is from God. Verse one, you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. This wasn't just a trip. This wasn't just a tour. This wasn't just a vacation. This wasn't, well, I've never been to that continent yet, so we'll go there, and I'll just happen to see if I can talk to somebody about Jesus. This was an absolute mission. God had told them in the miraculous Macedonian call that we hear about in Acts chapter 16, go to that place. We even read in Acts chapter 17 that God says, I have believers in that area. Stay there. 
God wanted them there for this very reason. The reason why they're there is not because they've got great beaches or they've got good food or because it's just fun to travel. The reason why they're there is because God sent them there. Verse four says, just as we have been, look at this, we must be careful, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Them coming to preach in Thessalonica was what God wanted to happen. And the message that they were speaking and teaching was God's message. And he had given it to his apostle Paul to go and proclaim. The apostle Paul that we're reading about right here saw Jesus face to face and Jesus told him to go and be a missionary, be a light to the Gentiles. You will be a message to the nations. This message is from God. And God is now entrusting him with this message. In verse five, as he speaks about how he did not come with flattery or with pretext for greed. He's not in it for the wrong reasons. He's not in it for the money. He even says there, God is the witness. And saying God is the witness has some power some days. I give you my word, hand on the Bible, swear to God, I'll look you in the eye. We try to prove that we're being sincere and honest. And when we bring God into the equation, we better mean it. And Paul does it here. God is witness. He sent me to you all for your sake. That they would believe. What a thought. What a thought. It is here that I want to make sure that you are not hearing from me that we just believe whoever loves us best, right? Life does work that way practically sometimes. The best boss you've ever had is the one you're going to listen to. The best coach you've ever had is the one you're going to listen to, right? I mean, that coach taught me that I better run the ball out to first no matter what, even if I know I'm going to get out. So to the day I die, I will always run it out to first base, right? Well, that, well that's good. But that's not the message of salvation. We don't believe whoever is best at life. We don't believe mom because she's mom. We believe God because he's true. Because he is the answer to the world. Because he is our God and our maker. And there's only one of those. And we need to get right with him. And so, as we live our lives and we decide, do I listen to my wife? Do I listen to my kids? Do I listen to my school? Do, who do I listen to? And every one of us, whether you think you're religious or not, are forming our views based off of what we receive as information. And all of that is to be weighed and processed in our minds and in our hearts according to the truth of God. This is why effective witnesses and effective missionaries and Christian people in the world are so important. You and I are to turn people on to the truth. We are to bring truth to people's hearts and minds. We are to bring up the subject. We are to share the message. We are to initiate the conversations. We are to get it out there. We are to get it off of our chest. We are to inform them of what God says. Not that they would believe us because we're so good, but because they would believe God because he's true. And so do not think that we're saying here today, listen to the people that are best in your life, but listen to the people who are pointing you to God and you're taking God seriously or trying to find God or understand what is true. That is what we see Paul emphasizing here. 
a trustworthy message to believe because their message was from God. Their lives were sent by God. They were genuinely witnesses to God. And he would even say, God is witness. Number one, the message is from God. But number two, the message is utterly toward God. Don't miss this. It seems like chapter two of 1 Thessalonians is Paul defending himself, but only so that they would believe in Jesus. Look at verses 12. Look at verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We are here that you would go and live for God. Live your lives walking daily in a manner that speaks to the worth of God, that he loves you, that he's glorious, that he's holy, that he's good, that the best thing about life is God, that the best thing about your life is God, that you believe that and you want it to be reflected in all that you do because through Christ and forgiveness of sins, you have been called into his own kingdom and into his glory. We want to encourage you. Notice that's what he's talking about when he says like a father with his children. Man, dads know how to give pep talks, do they not? What a thought. Dads know how to give pep talks. I I know that I'm wearing my kid's ear out with some pep talks in the car. Every time we pull up to the game, I am giving them every talk they can. They're not bigger than you. They're not stronger than you. They haven't worked harder than you. Now let's get out there. You fall down, you get back up. You just give some high fives today. That's every time we pull up to a field. Probably wearing them out. But Paul knows that's how dads are. Man, we're trying to exhort them. We're trying to tell them. We want them to listen. And yet, at the end of the day, is that not what ministry is? Every time I see you all, do you not know that the hope is go trust Christ? Go believe God. Go obey. Go live for him. Go make a difference in the world. Invite your neighbors. Tell them. Stop sinning. Trust in grace and mercy that God forgives you and Christ rose from the grave and he reigns on high. Live for Jesus. That's what it's all about. And Paul says we were there, tender like a nursing mother, but exhorting you like a father to live for God. It's awesome. I want to show you this even another way. And this was fascinating. At verse two, he says, we declare to you the gospel of God. You see that phrase in verse two, gospel of God. Well, if you turn over to verse eight, again, he brings up the gospel of God. You look at verse nine, he brings up the gospel of God. And the gospel means good news. We came with a message. We arrived in Thessalonica to share with you some good news. We want you to know that God loves you and that he will forgive you of your sins and he sent his son for you. We've got good news for you. But he uses a phrase that we don't really use that often. The gospel of God. This is God's good news. It came from him. And the good news from God is good news to get you toward God. The good news from God is to get you toward God. Why should I believe in God? Because he loves you and he sent his son to die for you. 
because the judgment and punishment that we deserve, he has taken for us. The good news from him pushes us toward him in this message that we believe. Trustworthy lives to observe and a trustworthy message to believe. Over the years, when it's been time to buy a car or a new vehicle, I've often heard when talking to people, older men where you're seeking some advice and some wisdom, say something to this extent. Oh, I wouldn't ever buy that brand. I'll never own one of those ever again. You've heard that before, right? Now, I gotta be careful not to name any uh, car makers here because we've got some major loyalties in Kentucky, don't we? I'm not naming any names. But you've heard people say that before, right? And let's just be honest about that. We know that there are good cars from that company and there are good cars from that company. And we know that there's been some bad ones from that company and been some bad ones from that company. Everybody's seen a lemon before, had a car break down on before and let them down. And so can we just all admit here today that the reason why we have now drawn this sweeping conclusion over an entire car-making company that makes millions of cars is because we had a bad experience with this one or those two or maybe three. We now are done with that altogether because of that bad experience. And in the case of it being wisdom from a father, from another man, we are now influenced without ever having had that negative experience with that car brand because of their bad experience. Does that happen in the world? Yes, it does. It does. What if that happens with truth? What if that happens with God? There are people in our midst who will never ever go to church again because of the way church has treated them. There are people in our midst who will never read the Bible because the people they know that read the Bible have treated them so wrongly. And there are people who are not feeling loved by God, even their son or his son, Jesus, that died for them because of the bad, bad example that gave them that. This is the understanding that the Apostle Paul knows because there are false teachers all over the world and bad examples everywhere we turn. And so Paul says, look at our lives. We have sacrificed for you. We have been sincere every step of the way. This message is from God and this message is to take you toward God. On the, und- on the other end of that, You have bought a car before and you loved it so very much and it you drove that thing for 200,000 miles and it lasted so long that when it came to car shop again, you know exactly where you're going, you know exactly what you're getting and it don't care what they try to sell you or what the price is, you're going with that one because it was so reliable, right? This is what Christians and churches and missionaries are to understand. Don't believe God just because of me. 
believe God because God is true. But the lives that we are living ought to be saying, how can I not believe? Because of the way they love me, they sacrifice, they forgive, they're patient, they keep going, they'll wait. They've dealt with our issues. They've seen us up and down. They've heard me talk like that. They've seen me struggle so much, and yet they continue to lay down their lives for me. How can I not believe? I can't say they're wrong. I can't say they're wrong because they love me so much. If you're here today as a child or as a grown child, and your parents have pointed you to Christ and pointed you to Christ and pointed you to Christ, perhaps you should listen. If you're here today with an unbelieving spouse, your husband does not believe or your wife does not believe, and yet they have prayed for you and loved you and asked you to believe, perhaps you should consider it. In a world of tons of people who are giving you messages, there are many that we should not believe because of the representation that they have for their message, but there are also many that we should believe because they mean it and they're sincere. I was reading a biography once of a man who in many ways is so exemplary and he is a hero. And the question had come up, why are you a believer? Why do you believe this book? Why do you believe this book? And he said, well, there's really two answers to that. The first is because the grace of God has flooded into my life and I felt convicted of my sins and I came to understand that Jesus died on the cross for me and that because of that, God is now not judging my sins. He's already judged them in Christ and I'm free. I'm free in Christ. All of my sins are forgiven and I believe because I know that Jesus died for me and God loves me and he's welcomed me into his family. That's why I believe. That's the first reason. He said, but there is another reason and I want to tell you. He said, okay, what's the second reason why you're a believer? He said, I'm a believer in Jesus because my mom is. And I've seen that lady every day of her life give everything for me. Love me, be there for me, talk to me, forgive me, discipline me, love me, love me, love me. Love me when I was not lovable. Love me when I was rebellious. Love me when I was rude. Love me when I was disobedient. She loved me, she loved me, she loved me. And she kept telling me to trust Christ. He said, and I'm thinking now, there's no way that my mom is wrong. Because I see in the Bible that what my mom is telling me is true. Church, we have a witness We have a ministry, and that should be sharing the message as we share our lives. May there not be anybody, may there not be anybody who does not want to trust Christ because of us. May we be sacrificing, sincere, speaking this message that's from God, and pointing people toward God. Father in heaven, we thank you for the letter to the Thessalonians. And we thank you, God, for little examples like buying a car and a bad experience that shapes the way we feel or view so much. God, help us to be people that know what the truth is, what is the message of God, to believe you, And help us to live lives, God, that are shared with others in helping them believe. 
Father, we pray that you would continue to teach us from the letter to the Thessalonians. We thank you for this book. Move in our hearts now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.